when I look at impressionist art, I enjoy it. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and you know what I mean, putting the essence in rather than the actual uh, is always been my uh, thing to do. You're listening to Colin Bradley Artcast with Colin Bradley and Stephen Bradley. Hello and welcome to Colin Bradley Artcast. I'm Stephen Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. Hey, Dad. Hi, Stevie. Are you all right? Are you doing all right? Well, I'm I'm very well. Yes, yes, yes. We had uh, just out of interest, and uh, last week, last Saturday, we had the the Battle of Waterloo uh, join us in Broadstairs. <laughs> not you know, not the, the actual battle. Of Waterloo, battle. Napoleon's. No, yeah, not the actual battle. No, <laughs> you're no, all safe. We, we were part. <laughs> we were part of the ceremonial. Uh, pageantry that went along with it. It started over in the continent, and um, the it, what it was. It was the news of the uh, the the English, Prussian, and Allied um, European countries against Napoleon, and they eventually won, as we know. And they had to send a message to Prince Regent in London, telling him that the battle had been won. Because it was expected to go the other way. I don't know whether you ever knew that, but it was. It was all, and it, it was a just, you know, a, the odds were against us beating Napoleon, but we did in the end. Anyway, uh, what happened was the, the, the first notification of that battle, because there were no emails then, no telephones or anything like that, they had to rely on uh, pa- the passage of the boat coming across to England to tell the uh, French region. Anyway, the boat got becalmed just off Broadstairs, and they had to, uh, the, uh, uh, what was his name? Major Percy, Major Percy and Captain Wright, that's right. Those were the two people that were given the job of uh, sending the message over, and they had to uh, row from the boat to the beach, and they ended up in Broadstairs. So, so we were the first to, you know, have the contact, and they then got in a carriage and went to London for the British region. So we made a big thing of it down here. You know, <laughs> any 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 excuse for a party, and uh, it was very good. And we we witnessed it last Saturday. It was really good. You know, they had the um, the boat come up on the beach, and the two uh, characters in Napoleon uniform. You know, not Napoleon, the. Uh, yeah, Napoleonic. I think they call it Napoleonic, don't they? The Napoleonic uniforms of the day. Uh, they got out and uh, there was a ceremony on the, the jetty and they got in a uh, horse-drawn carriage and winged their way off to London oh. and where there was more celebrations up there. Oh. But two days previously, I'm sure people would have seen it on the news, two days previously they had the uh, reenactment from uh, of the battle because it, it took quite a long time, you know, that uh, message to get it from uh, the, the, the battle that was won in, on the 18th to here mm. when it was on the 20th. Wow. No, but it was really good, really interesting. A lovely little, day to, you know. A little and, piece uh, of history for everyone there. It was, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So we really enjoyed ourselves, and uh, it was a, a couple of hours of, uh, of um, pageantry. Good. Excellent. I'm sure you all wanted to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, so this week, um, 
I thought we would uh, talk about uh, backgrounds and uh, touch a little bit upon um, what influences your decisions, Dad, in doing backgrounds um, for wildlife uh, specifically this week. Mm. Um, So without sort of throwing it too broad to start with, because obviously every subject is going to differ, with wildlife subjects, um, if they are, say, in in their environment, Mm -hmm. how do you go about, because do you go, do you, a reference picture with the background already in, you know, because it's got to be quite hard if you want a wild animal um, to get them in exactly the setting that you want them to be in. Mm. Uh, well, that, that, that would that be nice and easy if that happened every time. But unfortunately, it very, very rarely happens. The reason is a photograph, when it's taken of, um, you know, a, 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 a wildlife subject, um, I mean, a wild animal, we're talking about lions, tigers, um, elephants, and rhinoceros, and so on. Um, The problem is then, the photographer is only concentrating on the the subject, be it a giraffe or whatever, that subject. Therefore, he's not really mindful or worried about the backgrounds so much. He's more interested in the subject looking good. But from an artist's point of view, uh, he has to look at the whole picture so it's very rare, and I'm just trying to think of an occasion where I did actually use a background, and I can't think of one, Steve. I've done an awful lot of wildlife pictures in my time, and I can't ever remember using the actual reference that was as part of the photograph. Isn't that weird? I've, I've always picked the picture, I've always picked the, character, the um, subjects, and then found... Very often I search the internet or I make a lot of it up, but uh, I'd, I'd always, <clears throat> always change the background. And how do you decide what background to put them in? Well, you start off, as, as always, you start off with the subject itself and what, what warrants it. Um, the rhinoceros is a good one to start with, but everybody's seen that. I had the rhinoceros, and that's all I had. So I started with that, and I drew that. And then I had to think about a background for that. Now, what you start with the rhinoceros, and you work out from that. What's, he, um, what's the ground like? Do you want it to be grassy or uh, sandy or whatever? And then once you get that uh, kind of in your head, then you think, okay, that's, that's, we've got middle distance and, and distance to worry about then. Now, the middle distance is the most difficult bit, really, because that's the bit that's going to be slightly out of focus. But all the time, when you're dealing with that, you've got to have the subject in mind. So you can't put a tree sticking out of its ear or things like that. You've got to think very carefully about the positioning of the foliage or the rocks or, you know, whatever you're doing. And you've also got to think about the contrast between the subject, and the colours that are surrounding. And very, very often when I'm doing something like this, I change the colour of the backgrounds or the reference material I have for the backgrounds to the colours dictated by the animal itself. 
you have to do that because otherwise you get all sorts of you can imagine rainbow colors going on mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's just that's the next thing and then the third thing really is the background itself and the, the distance and if you're doing uh hills in the background or forest in the background or whatever you've got to again you've got to put those out of focus that's got to be um that's got to be uh it can't be detailed. If it was detailed, you'd then take away from the image. The image has got to be the, the centre. This is why you see when you see most photographs, you see a, a, an out-of-focus background. So how, how do you continue to make the, with the, even with the foreground, the middle ground and the distance, the background, how do you still ensure that the subject is the focus of the picture? Well, it, the that's the first thing you draw. That's the first thing I ever draw. When if I'm if I'm doing a drawing, I put the subject in first. I always draw the subject first, and then everything goes around that subject. So, that, that, sorry, I was going to say, how do you ensure that the people viewing the picture aren't distracted by the background? Ah, well, <laughs> well, you all the things that I've just told you about. You have to make sure that the, whatever you put in the background isn't better than the subject. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It mustn't be, uh, it mustn't take attention. So you can, you can put anything you want on it, really, as long as you don't, as long as it doesn't be, the fox was a very good example of that. You remember I did the fox mm. recently? That was a good one. I started with the fox and that's all I had. That's, I mean, people know if they've uh, viewed it. That's all I had. I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any background at all. So I made it up literally as I went along. But what I did there is a good, good example. I started with the fox and then I did the foreground. This is, you know, kind of ask about face really, isn't it? You think you do the background first and then come forward. Well, I did it the other way around. I did the um, foreground because the fox was in the foreground and I needed the surround to complement that, which it did. And then I moved backwards. I moved back into slightly out of focus and I made sure the trees, the distant hill was a last, uh, 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 an afterthought. Because when I looked at it, I thought, yes, okay, I want to make this interesting, but I don't want to take from the picture. And if you view the fox, <clears throat> as people now have all seen it, they know that that fox stood forward. It's like I look at it and say, how would people look at this? Wow, look at that lovely picture of a fox. Oh, the background is nice too. That's the way it should be. That not, way around. Yeah, not, wow, look at that background. Oh, there's a fox there. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you think that putting, say, the rhino picture as an example, because the composition was slightly to one side, do you, think, right. do you think you could have got away with putting anything in the background, anything living, alive in the background, i.e. a couple of birds or a family of rhin- rhinos in the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could you, have yes, got you a- could you have got away with putting other animals perhaps I could, in the background? But, but I could have done that. But if they were far enough away, which they would have, we're looking at uh, something that's perhaps in the distance, or middle distance rather, um, they would have to be slightly out of focus. Uh, okay. you'd, you'd have to, because if you made those in focus, again, you're taking it away from the subject itself. The most important thing is the subject. You, you start with that, and then you work backwards, and everything has to complement that, uh, both colour-wise and uh, design-wise. And how do you pick the uh, colours that you're going to use in the, in the distance um, when you've got the subject? How do you know what kind of colours to use? Well, you... you You've got quite a range, really, because if you're looking at, um, when you're looking at the subject, you kind of, 
know by the time you finish that subject your range of colors. And then all you do is then look at the, the same colors and how can you use those in the background. As long as you put those colors into the background, you're okay. Then you look at complementary colors to that, colors that would complement those colors and won't clash. It's the clashing bit that can be very off-putting sometimes. Give us, when give us an choose. example of clashing colors. Well, if you were to use um, reds, say, say <laughs> this is the worst example, really. Let's say the rhino, put the rhino in and put some grass, and then you put red, red things in, you know. Um, I can't think of anything red, <laughs> but anything, you know, red or blue, you know, that's, that's obvious, like an obvious color. Uh, uh, instead of being subtle, it's mm-hmm. obvious, and those colours wouldn't work at all. They, they would, they would, they would completely destroy the picture. Most of the time, when you see me work on uh, the animal pictures that I do, and you look at the backgrounds I use, they're all complementary to that animal. The, the Siamese cat was another a very good example of this, although that was a foggy background. It's still I picked out all the colours I use in the in the Siamese cat. Mm. And when you're doing, say, the, the rhino, uh, that was a fairly light background. Uh, you know, it was a, a daytime shot and things like that. Mm. Um, if you're doing a picture, because the fox had a slightly, I know it was still daytime, but it was darker colours surrounding the fox. Mm. How do you ensure that the subject still pops out if you've got a particularly dark surrounding? Um, or, would you well, just, or would you advise not to do that? No, no, you can you can do it. If if you if your if your your subject is dark and you put a dark surrounding, you've lost him. You know, you've you've completely lost it. Um, there was one uh, example that's coming up soon where I did a dog. Now, um, it was for a friend of yours. You know, your very good friend, and that dog was very dark. Now, I had a, and people when they look at it will say, "Wow, don't that look good." But we had a problem because the, the picture that I had was very dark. Now, had I made that dog dark as it was and put a light background on it, it would have looked awful. So I was kind of stuck, really, with putting a dark background on. So there we have dark and dark. And you think, well, that doesn't work. But it did, didn't it? And it worked well because I I kind of... I, I, I can't tell you why uh, it actually did work as well as it did. did I you, just knew it would. Do, did you lighten? You know? Did you slightly lighten up the the, the subject? Did you slightly adjust yes, the did. brightness? It's almost as if you adjusted the contrast or I did. the tonal value of the actual subject to not be overpowering against yes. the background. One has got to one has got to pre- predominate. Now, in this case, that you're quite right. The animal was lighter than the background. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you if you have a, a if you have a background that's that's lighter than you know than the dark subject, it wouldn't work at all. You you would you would lose it. It would not be looking like a, a silhouette. So you can't do it that way. There's so much to this. Um, gosh, we're gonna we're gonna overrun on the, this subject because it's vast, even, and there's no real there's no real. Um, when I'm doing something, I instinctively know it's going to work. And I think that's just a practice. I've done an awful lot of work in my time. Uh, but it's also possibly uh, I have uh, an, in- an instinct for it. 
I know what will work. I'm very fortunate, really, with my colours. I, I don't have a problem with colours. I know what colour goes with what colour. Um, it's just it's just the way it is. I think a lot of it does come from experience. The more you do, the more you understand. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started out, I did a few pictures, what I now remember, that didn't work quite that way. They were clashing. I put a blue sky against something that didn't, you know, didn't work very well. Now I wouldn't do that. I would grey the sky down and, and, and make it more subtle, the difference between the two things, more subtle. And uh, yeah. there's, there's, you know, there's another, another problem which I've got coming up soon, I've got a, a, a wildlife subject which I'm going to be doing, and I've got um, a, a very, very vivid blue this is the photograph that I'm using. I, I love the idea of this vivid blue contrast with the green or the green uh, shrubs. Now, if I was to use that exactly like that and put my animal in it exactly like that, it would look absolutely awful because I've got too much. It works in a photograph, but it wouldn't work in a painting. So, you, so what I've got to do uh, is temper the background colour and grey it down rather than the blue, the bright blue that's there. I've got to grey it down because grey is neutralising. You see, it's a neutral colour. And then what I'll do with the foreground, when I, or when I, the middle distance rather, I'll grey that too, but it won't be blue. It will be green. You see what I mean? So we'll have the same kind of undertones, neutralising both of those two colours and then putting the, the blues, the blues and the grey blues on and then for the sky, and then for the uh, middle distance trees, they would have grey under them as well. So we won't have that contrast. If I was to put green directly on that, rather than put the grey underneath it, it would be too vivid. I think probably now you're getting the idea of what I'm trying to say here. Mm. We, 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 have to, we have to temper, we have to, to quieten the colours down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, how would you... Describe the the change, uh, the development in your um, wildlife uh, backgrounds over the years. Because if I if I remember going back to your uh, older pieces, you know the fox cubs come to mind, where that's got a particularly de- more detailed background than than some of your other pictures. Mm. And compare that to the rhino, where it's it's very much majority background subject mm. uh, is you know maybe. 30% or 25% of it mm. um, and this with other pictures and perhaps the elephant you know sort of as, as a good example that the charging elephant you did mm. but you've done much more with your backgrounds than you used to do is that confidence and experience that's mm. drew you uh, drawn you to doing uh, to being braver with putting animals and making them you know still the main focus but less of the space on the paper Mm. Up. Yes, I think it is that. Certainly experience uh, is, is the key to it, uh, doing a lot of work. But another thing that I've... There's things I don't like in pictures. I don't like pictures and that, that uh, depict detail, complete detail. The, the subject, let's say it was a tiger. The, the, the tiger was in uh, really uh, perfect detail. And then the, uh, the the grass around it was in perfect detail. I'm talking about 
draftsmanlike detail. And then you get to the background and that's in perfect detail. And everything's in perfect detail. I dislike those pictures intensely. I mean, you even even a photographer doing taking a picture of that tiger wouldn't do that. But it, he would he would fade some of that colour out. He wouldn't leave it perfect. You know, uh, every blade of grass put in, every leaf put in. So I kind of took uh, an offence at that early on. And I said, you know, there's no way am I going to do that. And I think probably the reason I, I've gone down that road is because I love the Impressionist art. As generally, when I look at Impressionist art, I enjoy it. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and you know what I mean, putting the essence in rather than the actual uh, is always been my uh, thing to do. But it's difficult to do that. It's much easier to draw it as you see it than it is to try to give the impression of that. So it is hard, really hard mm. to do. But over the years, I've learned to be able to do that. And I think what happened, um, where the turning points came, is when I did my portrait, animal portraits, and I had to use um, different uh, effects in the background. And I had to, uh, uh, rather than put, you know... Uh, a cage in or a tree or whatever, I would just fog everything down. So it became um, unrecognizable hmm. as a background. That helped me a lot because I saw then how important it was to have the, uh, the actual subject right in the foreground. And, and people uh, have loved that. And um, I will continue to do that. So ha coming from that side of it, I thought, okay, the rhinoceros that I did was one of the, I think it was probably the first that I kind of had a really good feeling about. If I was to do it again now, Stephen, what I would do with that, I wouldn't have made the grass so green, I don't think. I would have made it a little grayer. Nothing wrong with it. It's a lovely picture and a great picture, and I'm sure people love it to bits. I always look afterwards, I look and, and do it like a post-mortem on, on a picture I do. Uh, and I, my, um, what I would do and suggest people do is do that to their own work. They shouldn't look at it and look uh, in uh, the way of, oh, I don't like that, what a lousy job I've done of it, because you, you didn't. And I didn't. I did a good job of that, Rhino, and it was, uh, I was very pleased with it at the time. It's only when you look back on it with subsequent experience that you think, you know, I could have done perhaps a little more here, or I could have done a little less there. So what you're doing, that's, that's all part of the learning game, isn't it? You're looking at something and you're saying, no, I, I, at the time I did that, that was the best I could do. But now, with my added experience, I'm looking at it again and thinking, hmm, perhaps I can do it. One of the things that is interesting, and I'm sure people would find this interesting, when I had my art classes, people used to um, come to me a few years after they'd produced a particular picture and said, Colin, I've, I, I've got a picture of this so-and-so, so-and-so I've done, and I, I'm looking at it now and think, you know, I'm not really happy with it. Do you think you could deframe it for me and then I could work on it again and I blankly refused to do that I said no no you can't do that that was at the time that was the picture and you were pleased with it weren't you oh yes I was then it's just now I'm not I said no no keep that picture and look at it with fondness because you were 
really pleased with it when you did it. But, but I understand what you're saying, but why don't you now put it into the new picture? Why put all that experience into the new picture? And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't deframe the picture for them. I don't know whether they did it. They might have done it themselves. But I wouldn't do it because I felt that that would be the wrong thing to do. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I just want to close out by talking about one other subject that's got a really interesting background, a very striking background, um, is the prowling tiger. Now, that's black, black background. How challenging was that particular background to do because you've got you know one of his legs sort of appearing from the darkness as well (laughs) so (laughs) tell us about how challenging and how like brave you were to do that because that's black um against a bright orange with only a partial leg showing Mm. when i did that that was to be honest that was an experiment that first picture was an experiment i thought i wonder what it'd look like if i did it this way and when I did it, I was gobsmacked. I, I didn't expect it to turn out as well as that. I really didn't. But at the time, I thought, I can't put black on. I mean, I want to put black on top of whatever color is underneath it. So I don't. I, so by that time, I'd had enough experience to know that uh, black is a, is a devastating color if used directly on top of the, um, the, the, the paper. So I had to work uh, quite a lot of colour underneath that, greens and ochres and browns. You can't go too light, obviously, because you've got a dark subject. But I also put in some of the, the same colour that I used in the tiger. That was, I think it was 187, I seem to remember. That was the colour that I used. And that went in the background before all the dark colours went on. So I knew that the colour that I was going to produce as a background, although it looks black, when you look at it, it's not. Mm. It, it's got a, a tints or tints underneath it. And that's why it works so well with the, uh, the tiger. But interesting enough, when I, again, when I did that, I thought I'd, done, I'd made the uh, area that touches the dark background dark enough. I thought, oh, gosh. And I was looking at it that's miles, miles too dark, I, I thought to myself. But when I came to actually put the background on, I had to darken it a lot more because it wasn't anywhere near dark enough. It looked daft, really silly. Too bright. Because I had this, yeah, I had the contrast. I had the, 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 what looked like a light tiger against a dark background didn't work. Right, yes. So, but I was lucky enough for what I did then. I bought, pulled the background, and people know that if they've done the Palin Tiger. Um, because when I did it the second time, I'd already, you know, copied the first time, basically. Um, I pull, pulled the background into the tiger. I actually used the color shaper. Ah, I see. Uh, to bring and that it back helps. In. That helps to up the contrast of, or you know, or, or you know, mm. uh, make the the tone darker. Yeah. And well, it's the advantage of the pastel pencil. Really, Steve, you can do it with a pastel. You couldn't do it really with anything else. You couldn't do it with watercolor. I mm. uh, can't think of any. But you probably even with acrylic because. You, well, you probably could with acrylic, yeah. You could put a wash over it. And you could certainly do it with oil. But pastel pencils, it was perfect. It was a perfect medium for that particular one. But the leg in the front was interesting because when I, again, when I did that, uh, as people know, uh, but when you see it on the video, that's fine. I mean, I've already been there and done that, so I knew what was coming. But you've got to put yourself in my shoes right from the, region, from the word go when I did that originally. I, I was 
quite scared with it. I wasn't videoing, of course. It was just done as a, as a, a picture for an exhibition at the time. But I didn't really think that I'd pull it off. But it's been one of the most popular pictures and, uh, uh, that I've ever done. Absolutely. Mm, okay, good. All right. Well, that, that's lots of information. I'm sure people are going to have to go back and listen over that cause there's, or, or make notes because there's some, uh, some really good tips that mm. you've given away there. Um, if you've enjoyed this show, you know, if you've enjoyed us talking, because we could talk about this, no doubt, a lot longer than half an hour if you have enjoyed it let us know get in touch via email uh, if there's any particular subjects that you'd be interesting in, in hearing us talk about and um, backgrounds and such like um, and we can uh, we can talk about it on the show um, but okay it's um, it's been really good um, if you've got a question for the show we'll take some of your questions um, then please go to the website colinbradleyart.co.uk and click on the contact page at the top and get in touch with us. And it would be great if you could support us and support the podcast by leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, the links are on our website and uh, it only takes a minute to drop us a positive review. We would really appreciate it. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Dad, the, the Siamese cat has been really well received by our members, which is nice. Good, good, good. Um, I'm glad of that. Yeah, we'll have, uh, we'll have another project to reveal next week. And uh, I'm going to say it's a, a cracker, but I would say that, wouldn't I? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, well, if it's if it's the one I think it is, it's. Uh, they all I, are. They all are. All the ones are coming up. I know, but it, it, it's. Yes, I know it is. Yeah, but this particular one is is a. This was another one that uh, I really thought. Gosh, am I going to be able to do this? You know, because it was real, real tester. Mm. It's going to test our, our members and our students as well. And if you would like to become a member of Colin Bradley Art and get access to all of uh, Dad's videos and uh, packs and ebooks and all of the wealth of information and tutorials that are on the site, you can go to colinbradleyart.co.uk. Okay, great. So uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Steve Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. Enjoy, Enjoy your week. week. You've been listening to Colin Bradley Artcast. Learn to draw and paint online at your own pace in your own home. For free courses and more information, visit colinbradleyart.co.uk. 